Thank you guys. Thank you so much for that testimony and song. Well, let's go back to John 18. John 18, verses 33 through 40. I want to echo what Jerry said in his introduction. I do want to say happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. I'm a very thankful father of four, and I tried as best I could to let my kids know this morning that I'm Father's Day to me means that I simply can be their father, not what you give me, but the opportunity to love and serve them. And so I tried as best I could to communicate that love to each one of them. I know today is not as happy uh, for others. Some of you did not have a good father. Some of you don't really remember your father or didn't have a father at all, or you have an absent father that you know is still out there somewhere, but you're not really making any connections with them. So I know that this day can bring about many different feelings and complicated family dynamics can be very, very acute on a day like today. But I am thankful that we have a heavenly father who loves us very much, that doesn't drop the ball at all. He's always there behind us. And not only that, he gave us his son. Uh, He displayed a love that frankly is the greatest love that a father could ever bestow upon anyone else giving us his son so that that son could die for the sins of the world. And so I take hope that we have an example, a hope, uh, in that kind of a father. And also by way of introduction, I I know this is an interesting time for our church. I don't don't want to overlook that at all. But if I can just give you a little bit of my testimony this morning. Uh, Pastor Matt actually asked me to give my testimony some down, sometime in the future, but I want to just give you a little bit of a glimpse of, of that testimony right now. And it's in the, in the form of what I've seen take place in Calvary over the last 20 years that I've been here. Um, I came walking through the doors in the youth group. I was 17 years old, not knowing a single one of you. I've seen people come and go. I've seen change. Uh, many of it good change. And I watched as a teenager, people approach me, uh, if for no other reason than to encourage me, to ask me my name and my background and, you know, why are you here? And, and also not just stopping there, but trying to encourage me and love on me as Jesus loved on them. I've watched many of those people continue to be faithful as I Uh, met someone in college. We got married. We actually dated here. We experienced sermons. Rachel and I experienced sermons together here. We grew together here. We still are growing together here. Then we started having kids. And then the Lord called me into ministry and our family. We moved out west for about three, uh, three years and helped out a small church in Loveland, Colorado. And many of you prayed for me. Many of you sent texts, emails. You checked in on me. And I'm like, what kind of a church does that? Well, that's Calvary. <laughs> Calvary is just a sweet church. And I love you guys so much. And then when we came back, when the Lord opened up an opportunity for me to take a job at the hospital as a palliative care chaplain, you guys checked up on me and, and continued to encourage me. And, and goodness, the, the fellowship was just as sweet as when we came back. I've worked alongside of many of you in various ministries, whether it's in being a deacon or an usher And there was a time when y'all paid me to plunge toilets here. Do you guys remember that? That was crazy. 
I'm sorry if I didn't clean it to your uh, satisfaction, but uh, that was many, many years ago, rubbing shoulders with Johnny and trying to clean uh, the facilities. But this church is just sweet. You got the, the, the fellowship here is wonderful. The Lord has done a great work here, and I, I'm hopeful. And I share all that to say that God is going to do something in our midst that's going to be incredible. And my plea for you is that you'll, you'll hang in there. You'll hang in there with us. God has worked in the past. He is, in the Old Testament days, they would raise up what's called an Ebenezer, and it was a monument that, that people would point to, and they would say, look at this, and they would share that with their children. God did something here, and the promise is he's going to do something now, today, in the coming days, and into the future. So hang in there. Stay prayerful. Stay in the word. Be there for each other. God has got something incredible in store for us. 2 Corinthians 1.24, we are workers for your joy, for you to stand firm in the faith. In 1 Corinthians 2.2, for I decided not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I've seen those two verses in the faces of many of you over the years. You're not workers for circumstances to fall into place in exactly the same type that you would want it. You're workers for others' joy. And what that means is that no matter what the devil or the world throws at God's people, Jesus in his sovereignty and mercy somehow produces in your heart joy where you look at those circumstances and say, if I've got Jesus, I can walk through this. Just stay by my side, Lord. And there, in the spirit of our church, there is a determination, just like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, I've determined not to know anything among you except Jesus. And again, I've seen that for many and many of you. So let's stay prayerful. The future is bright, not because we are, but because Jesus is. Let's have a word of prayer. God, this text, you know the conversations you and I have had over this text over the last several weeks and how I've struggled with it and I've wrestled with it and my poor family have seen it on my face and, and I know that... Maybe there's an evening or two or three that I've been exasperated and wondering what in the world's going on, but you, uh, you've answered that prayer. And this text is heavy because we are reading about the God of the universe who is facing in just mere hours his own crucifixion and bearing the weight of the wrath of God upon him, the sin that we rightly deserve, going to bear that upon his shoulders for us. So it's a weighty, weighty text. And then there's Pilate, just like Nebuchadnezzar would look at his kingdom and say, look at what I've built. You have Pharaoh, another king who would say, who is God that I should obey him or know him? And then you have Pilate who asks, what is truth? And this is not a time for which, Lord, we're looking at people who don't have it together. Lord, we don't have it together. Without your grace, none of us would be redeemed so this is not a time where we're bashing on Pilate. This is a time where we are desperately seeking Jesus to answer uh, the prayer that we all have. We have unique prayers. We have a, a singular prayer as a church body, but Lord, you know them all. And so I ask that you would bless uh, this time together. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.
There are three things that I want to run through in this passage this morning. Number one, there's an invitation of the king. Number two, there is the reign of the king. Number three, there is the purpose of the king. And there's other things that we want to get through, but I want to start with the invitation of the king. If you remember from our text, Jesus asked Pilate a question. What do you think about the response to Pilate's first question? Let's read it again together, verses 33 and 34. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or do, they, do others say this about me? And when I see that, when I read that, I think that this is a gracious invitation by Jesus. It's a gracious invitation. We're going to get into a little bit about what was going on in Pilate's life in a, in a minute, but I'll tell you what I see. I see a loving invitation. Jesus could have simply answered the question, I'll tell you who I am. I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. I'm not just any king. But he didn't do that. He asked a clarity-seeking question. He was looking for clarity. Jesus didn't say anything other than a question, and that should blow our minds. He asked Pilate, who's asking the question, someone else or you? And the first thing about this question that I would submit to you is that Jesus is not filling the gaps of his knowledge here. He's not filling the gaps of his understanding. Jesus is fully cognizant of the situation at hand. He knows exactly what's going on. He's God. No one passes by Jesus or brushes up against Jesus without Jesus knowing exactly what that person is going through, let alone Pilate, the man that was tasked to try to figure out, how can I crucify this man or not crucify him, and be just and not cause a riot and all of that. But this is God he's talking to. Genesis 1.1, in, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And Colossians 1.16 talks about how Christ is the preeminent one who created all things, and everything you look at, there's not a single exception. Jesus, God through Jesus, created everything. So Jesus is not filling in the gaps of his knowledge here when he asks a question. Think of Matthew 9.4. In the story of Jesus healing the paralytic man, the scribes standing around Jesus thought in their hearts that Jesus was blaspheming God by forgiving sins. Jesus answered those people, even though the word wasn't spoken, why are you thinking evil inside your hearts? Jesus knows exactly what's going on here when Pilate asked that question. In fact, not only is he understanding of what's going on in Pilate's heart, he's fully aware of what's going on in your heart and mine this morning. He's fully aware of what is everyone's heart, whether that heart has been washed clean by grace through faith, or whether that heart remains a stony, dead heart, like we read in Ezekiel eleven nineteen. If your heart is dead in your trespasses and sins from Ephesians 2.1, if you're still following 
after your own flesh and the prince of the power of the air and all that, God knows. He's, he knows. God sees right into the heart of the obstinate child that you pray for. That this, he sees into the heart of the despairing parent. He sees the anxious heart that awaits to hear the news of whether their loved one will make it another night in the hospital. He sees your heart while you're in the hospital or feeling all alone at home, wondering if anybody sees you. He sees the weeping heart that misses their loved one or their child when they're overseas or on a business trip. He sees the self-righteous heart that constantly props itself up over and against others in the church. Do they not see how committed I am? And the spiritual heart is the hidden place of all emotion, thoughts, and beliefs. It's where hidden grief sits and no one else knows. All these emotions and perspectives hidden to everyone. No one may know, but my friends, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. So again, I would submit to you that Jesus is, in speaking with Pilate, is not asking a question to fill in the gaps of his knowledge. He's not ignorant of where Pilate stands in the world. Pilate's wicked, self-seeking, very chaotic circumstances heart is not escaping the eye of Jesus. And so in asking the question, do you say this of your own accord or do others say this about me? Jesus is up to something more. It's an invitation to put away every distraction and admit, Pilate, what do you think about me? Now, I was doing my studies. I noticed that Jesus asks a whopping 307 questions in the Gospels. Do you think that the God of the universe who knows everything wouldn't be on a search like that? Like 307? Really? That's crazy. You already know everything, Jesus. Let's just do, do what you came to do. But no, he loves people. He loves people, and he loves Pilate. One of my other favorite questions is from Matthew 16, 13 through 17. And Jesus and disciples, they come into a place called Caesarea Philippi. And some of you have been there. You've took the trip to Israel. You've seen it. And when I went in 2009, the tour guide, we stopped, and there's this big hill, and there's all these uh, crevices everywhere, little holes in the walls of the mountains. And the tour guide says, you know what those are? Those were the places where they kept all the little wooden idols. It's a very appropriate time for Jesus to ask a question in a very pagan city, surrounded by people who don't know Jesus, don't know Judaism, don't know any of that. And Jesus looks at his disciples, the 12 of them, completely outnumbered and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, representing the 12, stands up and he says, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus knew, he asked a question before that, and he says, what are people saying about me? That, well, some people say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets, John the Baptist raised from the dead. And Peter answers in a completely different way. And Jesus' response was, you know why you answered that way? Because of the Lord, the God of heaven, worked in your heart and gave you that answer. You confess that way because you're blessed. God worked in your life. You didn't come up with that on your own. God showed grace to you, Peter. So I'm, I'm fully aware Pilate is standing in a, in a very precarious position. He is, he is not converted. And yet, Jesus is still pulling at his heart. 
He's still pulling at his heart. Titus 3, verses 4 through 7 also gives us a glimpse of what it's like to stand in Pilate's position. If you are a believer this morning, you, you feel this too. You, you resonate with this kind of, this level of grace, this sovereign grace. Uh, Titus 2, you don't have to turn there. I just want to read it real quick here for you. Titus 3, verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the gospel of eternal life. When I read words in this text, I see things like mercy, regeneration, poured out richly his grace, being justified, becoming heirs. And I I don't see any part in which we brought anything to the table. God is a God who invites us to this. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that this, this Jesus is? John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. Maybe you're waiting this morning. What are you waiting for? Come to Jesus. If you don't know him as your Savior, come. Repent of your sins. Trust in him. And you'll be washed just like Titus 3, 4 through 7 says. You'll be washed clean. Isaiah says, white as snow. And you'll be one of the family of faith. Not by works, but by his grace. The other thing I see in this text, I want you to notice how God or Jesus, he narrows this question down. He's, He's not concerned about, in this moment, the big group. There's a lot of big group think out there. But Jesus narrows it down and he, he gets right into what Pilate is dealing with. Jesus moves away from the large group and he says, what do you say about me, Pilate? Jesus is within his right as the king of kings to narrow this focus. Pilate has no clue just how amazing this opportunity is. Sometimes we don't. The amazing opportunity to sit alone with the king of kings and the Lord of lords with all the chaos that you're thinking about right now or what seems like chaos, out of control, circumstances, unanswered prayer, the what in the worlds of the, of the life that you live. Jesus is not ignorant of all that noise that was in Pilate's life. Listen, listen to this. If you consider all the details we know about Pilate's life from the Gospels, Pilate's life is absolutely 100% noisy. I'm sure his heart is split in a hundred different directions. In fact, the New Testament gives us quite an inventory of everything that Pilate is going through. Maybe you can identify with this kind of noise. First, Rome caught wind of Jesus being called a king by the masses. Many groups of people pointing to him and saying, this is the king. He's here. Let's go. Let's start a kingdom. And let's set up Jesus as king. This is not sanctioned by Rome. Not in the least. As a Roman territory, Rome had to respond. 
So the Roman Empire sent Pilate with an army to keep the peace during the Passover. The last thing Pilate needs is a riot on his hands. If a riot happens, it's likely that people will die, people will get hurt. And if this trial doesn't go according to Pilate's plan, that's exactly what's going to happen. People are going to get hurt and possibly killed. Pilate could lose his job, his family, or even his life. Not to mention a few nights before, Pilate wakes up. He thinks it's going to be a normal day, and his wife taps him on the shoulder. You know what she says to him? I had a terrible dream about Jesus. Get as far away from that man as humanly possible. Don't have anything to do with him. Guys in the room, are you, you, you hear what I'm saying? Like when your wife is going through something, you pick up on that too, and it's yours now and hers, or it should be. You carry that together. And so when Pilate's going into the trial and meeting with Jesus, he's got that in the back of his mind. My wife had this bad dream about this man. I need to get, I need to answer that. But then there's also the Jewish crowd. The Jewish crowd outside of Pilate's court was crying, Pilate, if you let this man go, you're no friend to Caesar. Oh, goodness. You mentioned Caesar's name. There's nobody greater than Caesar in the Roman court. He, he's, the, the buck stops with him. And the crowd goes on, if you, if you let this man grow, you're no friend to our king, the Caesar. Pilate even gives them an opportunity based on one of the Jewish customs to release a prisoner, and they chose Barabbas. You remember that at the, the very end of our, our text in this little section here? They hated Jesus that much. And Pilate knew that. Next, Pilate did everything he could to get Jesus off of his plate. Just an agenda item for for Pilate. Just check it off and let's get going. So what did he do? He sent him to other political figures in the area. Sent him to Annas, Caiaphas' son-in-law. Sent him to the high priest Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin, And even Herod, and every last one of them, could not find a fault in Jesus. And they sent him back to Pilate. He's your problem. But then, despite all that chaos, there's Jesus. And I've asked this question to you before. When you read this, don't you just love Jesus in this moment? He's focused not the least anxious, resolute with purpose, moving confidently towards his Father's will, moving closer and closer to the cross. And in just a few hours, Jesus will die by crucifixion. In just a few short hours, he will bear the weight of God's wrath for your sin and mine on the cross. And yet, he doesn't cut any corners Hey, Pilate, what do you say about me? What you know about me, is is it based on everything else, everything that other people are saying about me? Or is it what you say about me? And I see nothing, nothing less than a gracious invitation. So the application for me as I read this is in the middle of what seems like a chaotic, out-of-control life, Jesus still tugs on my heart and yours. Pilate's life is very unique, don't get me wrong. But what is unique is that Jesus is still in the business of drawing us to himself in the midst of what appears to be chaos. Jesus asked, what do you think about me, Chase? 
When everything doesn't go your way today, what do you think about me? When you can't get to everything on your to-do list, what do you think about me? When you turn up empty time and time again because you're trying to live life on your own strength, what do you think about me? In the middle of Pilate's life, with all that noise, Jesus calmly tugs on his heart. Are you operating on what others are saying about me right now, Pilate? Or what do you know about me? I don't know about you, but I need to readdress this question in my life over and over and over again. Jesus, don't stop asking me that question. By your spirit, bring that question up to me over and over again. Way back in 1758, there was a man by the name of Robert Robinson. His father died at an early age, and Robert started drinking at the age of 17. He joined a gang in London, visited fortune tellers with his friends just to mock them. Didn't really, they were not really looking for any answers. And he and his friends one day decided to go hear that old preacher that was across town. The preacher's name was George Whitfield. George Whitfield's text for that sermon was Matthew 3, 7. You brood of vipers, who has warned you about the wrath to come? And Whitfield, this is how Robert described it, Robert Robertson, Whitfield had tears in his eyes and asked the crowd, have you ever been warned of the wrath to come? That King Jesus is coming back? And if you don't know him as Savior, that the wrath is for you? And it hit Robert right between the eyes. And it bothered him for three long weeks. And finally, finally, he submitted. He called on Jesus to save him, and he was born again. I don't know if the name, you recognize the name, but Robert went on to write these words. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. My church family, I have to ask you, what are you saying about Jesus today? And what are you saying about that situation right now that Jesus wants to speak to? Are you operating on what others are telling you? Or is it something that the Lord has showed you in his word? Application number two, don't be content with secondhand information. There's a lot of secondhand sources out there in our digital age, our opinionated, information-saturated age. Everyone has an opinion about who this Jesus is. Go to the coffee shops, talk with your friends, talk it over with your family. And I wonder, if you press them, I wonder how many of them would say it's because they spent time in the Word and they, that God showed them something from the Scriptures about the character and the work of Jesus. I wonder about that. Could you say that? Don't get me wrong. I think I absolutely 100% believe we need people to disciple us. We need small groups to speak truth into our lives. We need the Sunday morning sermon. Some of you go even further and you turn on the podcast so you can have another sermon throughout the week. I get that. I'm right there with you. But if you're operating on what others people, if other people say about Jesus alone, 
Take the time. Get alone with Jesus. He wants to teach you personally about himself. I remember many years ago, it's probably been about a decade, Will Galkin preached a couple sermons over there in Altizer Hall. He's now out there in Salt Lake City helping a church, Grace Church. And it was a sermon on Ephesians 4, 17. And I, I love this passage. I just, I just love it so much. I had, I had to share it with you because it, it goes along with what we're saying here. Paul in Ephesians 4, 17 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. And and Brother Will, Pastor Will, his point was, did Jesus teach you that? And that hit me. Oh, goodness, that hit me like a ton of bricks. That It really is very critical that I spend time with the Lord every morning because I'm going to have to answer that question by the way I live my life. Did Jesus teach you that? Did Jesus teach you that? Or are you operating off what others have said in this church from the pulpit and in their sermons? Are you operating off your luggage? Are you operating off the scriptures and how God has revealed himself? That is not the way you learn Christ. Christ did not teach you that. And so often we fall into the trap of turning on CNN, Fox News, the newspapers, the magazines. Go to Target. Almost once a year in the checkout line, there's a magazine with some sort of ancient photo of, you know, it's who they think Jesus looks like anyway. And it says, here's the real Jesus, right? You don't need your Bible. Just buy this, this magazine. It'll tell you all the secrets you need to know. There's commentaries, podcasts, sermons. But man, there's nothing sweeter than sitting alone in an, with an open Bible and just asking the Lord, what do you have for me today? Application number three. Can we lovingly invite others to, to Jesus like this? Perhaps the most loving thing you can do is ask a person, who do you think Jesus is? This is the job of the church. We follow our Savior in this. And then if those people are not sure, can you ask them lovingly and kindly, can we get together over coffee and just talk about Jesus and open the Bible and just look at it and read it together? Now I'll tell you, this is a point of growth for the church today. Christians today can be so unloving with the truth, 100% unloving. The church and her approach sound more like those news stations I just mentioned earlier. Christians actually say things like this. I'm just telling it like it is, and if they don't like it, oh well. The reality is that there are real agnostics out there who don't know that there's a God at all, and they have nobody to show them. There are real people out there that that say, I'm an atheist, there's no God. There are people out there that say everything is relative. If you believe it, it's fine for you. Just don't approach me about the way I live my life. They say things like, all you Christians who live in a bubble can live according to the Bible all you want. Just don't tell me how to live. That's good for you, not for me. And you know how many of them get there? They've had Christians in the past 
And non-Christians alike burned out. They're burned out because those believers treated them in a very unloving way. And I've had so many conversations over the past nine years sitting at bedside with people who are facing a terminal diagnosis who walked away from attending church and being in a faith community and be really committed because of a singular conversation with a Christian. This loving response by Jesus is a good place for all of us to start. Again, Jesus was not ignorant of all the wickedness that took place in Pilate's life. Look at, look at the beginning of Luke 13, in the verse 1. What does it say? Pilate, on one singular occasion, marched his army into town. He had had enough, killed a bunch of Galileans, not Jewish people, killed a, a bunch of Gentiles, excuse me, took their blood and mingled it with the sacrifices just to make the Jewish people angry. Jesus knows how wicked this man is. And he knows exactly where our heart stands this morning. Can we just start with a response like Jesus? We already know the world needs Jesus. Let's invite him, invite people lovingly. A few years back, a pastor, many of you know, probably listened to or read a book by him, John Piper. He sat at the bedside of his dad, who was an evangelist. His dad was a Bob Jones University grad, as far as, if my memory serves me right. He was sitting at bedside with his dad, and his dad was fighting a terminal illness. His dad only had a few days to live, and John would later say of his dad that the part of the last conversation the two of them had together was, Dad, what's, what's the secret to a lifetime of joy? And John would say of his dad, my dad was the most joyful person I'd ever known. So what's the secret, Dad? Please, what's the secret? And you know what his dad told him? The secret is to tell people about Jesus. Tell them what Jesus has done in your life. It's that simple. If you're born again, you know Christ is your Savior. You know how the depths of your sin and, the, and all of that. If you just start there, talk about the Lord and how he answers prayer and takes care of you, took care of your sin, took care of all of that, and you have a hope laid up for you in heaven. That's a good place to start. And I sat across the table this past week from a brother in our church. And he was in the limbo of waiting to hear back from his doctor. He got, he texted me and he said, I just, I want to get together with somebody. You want to have coffee? Come over. And I said, yeah, sure. Let's go. Let's talk. It is very dangerous to drink coffee at 8 o'clock at night when you're 40 years old, okay? <laughs> it's very dangerous, but we, we needed it because we, we, we talked about the Lord. When we sat there, and, and my friend, he, he did most of the talking. And between the text and our visit, he got an answer about that test that he was waiting back to hear. And the test was that there was no cancer. You don't have, that's not something we need to worry about. But as he sat across the table from me, he talked about how he was wrestling with, why now? I've got children. I'm a dad. Why now? And as he wrestled with the Lord and read the scriptures and prayed, do you know what happened? The strangest thing happened. His fellowship got sweeter. His prayers became more urgent. The scriptures became more and more real to him. 
And I, I, look, I told him, I said, he, he said, what do you think I should do? Or, you know, it was kind of like asking for advice and, you know, am I doing things the right way, whatever. And I said, I, I hate to break it to you, buddy, but you're a Christian and you're normal. <laughs> God's trial worked to bring you to a, a higher place in your relationship with him. It worked. God did his work in you. And now your relationship is stronger than ever. What, what, that, what that friend was doing was he was telling me about Jesus. You know, we are all just like Pilate. We are all just like Pilate. Romans 2, 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance? God's kindness is rich. There's so much of it, you can't even count it all. You could start with the fact that he created you. He created you for a purpose, for his own glory. You can go on to his providence, how he's ordering the events of your life for his own glory. And then he called you by his grace into a relationship with himself. You can think of that verse in Romans 2, 4, the forbearance. He's holding back. If you're here and you don't know the Lord or you're, you're away from the Lord, he holds back. He delays. He tolerates your stubborn heart and mine. He, he puts a pause on what you and I deserve. It says he's patient. God bears with us. He bears with our sin a long time. And the call still remains. Will you come? Will you repent? Will you trust in me? But do you presume upon his richness and kindness? Are you living a life that's not in accordance with your opportunity to come back to Christ? And that's all to say that I see a loving invitation to a very, very wicked man named Pilate. Let me ask you a question. Again, is what you believe about Jesus what others say about him or what you have found in his word and treasured in your heart? What conclusions have you come to after spending time in God's word? It would be a tragedy to live years upon years, wake up every day and be content with what others say about this King Jesus. To never sit in silence while your eyes move over an open Bible from verse to verse seeking God. What a tragedy it would be to go months without asking the Lord to open up your spiritual eyes, just like Psalm 119, 18. Where the psalmist says, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things out of your law. My wife has a framed quote in our living room. It's a quote by George Mueller. How many of you know George Mueller? Like way back in the day, the Lord put upon his heart to start an orphanage for all those kids that didn't have a mom and didn't have a dad didn't have a place to live, didn't know where their next meal was coming from. So this quote we have hanging on the wall is a prayer or a statement by a very desperate man who didn't know where each meal for those kiddos would come from. The quote hanging says, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend to every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord to be happy in the Lord. 
So my question for you, another question, will you walk away? Will you walk away from the Lord calling out to you, come back, come back? Or will you walk away from the invitation that Jesus actually, in this moment, knew he was going to be crucified and he had your name firmly fixed in his mind to die for your sins and to die for mine. Hebrews 3, 7 through 8, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Come back. And it's sad that if you look at verse 35, this was Pilate's response. He did not take the invitation. Again, this is all part of the plan. It's all part of the plan in God's sovereignty in a very painful, tragic situation, betraying the Son of God, murdering the Son of God. That is absolutely 100% sin. But in the book of Acts, we, we learn not only were these people culpable for their actions, it was all part of God's plan to bring about his glory. But Pilate answered, am I a Jew? In a sense, Am I part of your kingdom? It's like he looks in Jesus' face and says, will you stay focused here? I'm the one asking the questions. I'm the one asking the questions. And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And then Pilate said to him, wait, so, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. Many translators put just before the uh, words you and after the words say, you rightly say this. And so this is an admission upon Jesus' part. Yes, I am a king. And then he moves on to the purpose for which he came into the world. Verse 37, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? So the very person that Pilate needed in his life more than anybody else, right in front of him, the opportunity was there and he shakes off Jesus. What is truth? Am I a Jew? I'm not one of your people. I'm just here to do a job. This is something I just want to check off my to-do list. We're running out of time. I had so much more that I wanted to speak to you, but this is one of those advantages of having uh, speakers preach more than once. You're stuck with me next week. But I wanted to preach on the kingdom. What does it look like? Can I just say, men and women, we don't, we don't take up arms, guns and knives and weapons to defend Jesus. You know what we take up? We take up the gospel. We don't charge the battlefield to hurt people physically, to wound people mentally or psychologically, to gain some sort of an advantage over our enemy. And what we do in this kingdom King Jesus' kingdom, we share the gospel. I'd really like to talk about that next week. But for now, I want to ask you one more time, do you recognize the purpose of the king this morning? 
the purpose of the king, the reason he came into the world, the reason he was born should rattle every last one of us that there is absolute truth. It's not relative. It it does not depend on who you talk to. It depends on whether or not you're listening to Jesus or not. And he says, I came into the world to speak truth. Son of the God came into the world as the God-man, co-equal with the Father. He would never withhold things that we need to hear. He would never withhold what is good for us. And he certainly, certainly would never lie to us. His very purpose, Jesus says, is to bear witness to the truth. And in closing, can I give you some examples of what this truth looks like? I'm just going to read the verses, okay? Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's right out of Jesus' mouth. I didn't come so that you would worship or serve me in this moment. Sure, worship. I came to serve you by giving my life for you, dying for your sins. Mark 1, 14 through 15. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. John 12, 46. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Are you in darkness this morning? Jesus says, I have come to bring light to your sin-sick soul, to your dark circumstances. Come to me. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And what is the message of the king? He invites you. doesn't matter how wicked you are or wicked you think you, you, you be or how out of reach or of God's grace you may think you are. Pilate, certainly. It seems by all reason that this man should be written off, but Jesus still pulls at his heart. I mean, Jesus still pulls at yours and mine. Will you listen to Jesus today? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that in the darkest moment of your dear son's life, just few hours before he was crucified, and he gave us an example of what it's like to love the unlovely. And Lord, we were also firmly fixed in your mind in that moment. We are also unlovely, dead in our trespasses and sin. Our sins, like the prophet said, was like scarlet. But God, we're so thankful for amazing grace that washes us white as snow. Oh Lord, the story of Pilate from church history, we don't really know it from the scriptures as far as I've been able to, to see. I don't see it in the word. Maybe, maybe it's there and I missed it. But Pilate left this situation, a very frustrated man. From church history, we learn that he lost his job who knows what it was like at home with his wife. And we know from church history, maybe, that five years later, he took his own life. And you knew that. You, you know Pilate's life from start to finish. You know our life start to finish. And all we ask, Lord, is that by your Holy Spirit that you would not leave us alone. 
to our own way of living, that you would convict us, that you would draw us to yourself daily. We are so full of ourselves. And let me speak for myself. There's some days I wake up and I think all of this is dependent on me. It's not. Jesus, help us in our weakness. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to what you have for us in your word in the coming days ahead. Be with our church. We are needy people. We need you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we pray.